Chapter Twenty Seven of the Ranchman by Charles Alden Seltzer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Besieged. Hemingway tentatively suggested that a ride through the gorge toward Kelso Basin might simplify matters for himself and Taylor. It might, he said, even seem to make the defending of their position unnecessary. But his suggestion met with no enthusiasm from Taylor, who lounged among the rocks of his place of concealment, calmly smoking. Taylor gave some reasons for his disinclination to adopt Hemingway's suggestions. Norton will be back in an hour with Bothwell and the outfit. And now he grinned as he looked at Bud. Miss Harlan told me to be careful about my scratches. I take it she don't want no more sieges with a sick man. And I'm taking her advice. If I'd go to riding my horse like blazes, maybe I would get sick again. And she wouldn't take care of me any more. And I'd hate like blazes to run from Keats and his bunch of pug uglies. So Hemingway said no more on that subject. They smoked and talked and watched the trail for signs of Keats and his men, while the sun, which had been behind the towering hills surrounding the gorge, traveled slowly above them, finally blazing down from a point directly overhead. It became hot in the gorge. The air was stifling and the heat uncomfortable. Taylor did not seem to mind it, but Pud, with a vigorous appetite and longings that ran the flapjacks and syrup, grew impatient. If a man could eat now, he remarked once, while the sun was directly overhead, why, it wouldn't be so bad. And then, after the sun's blazing rays had begun to diminish in intensity somewhat, Bud looked upward and saw that the shimmering orb had passed beyond the crest of a towering hill. He looked sharply at Taylor, who was intently watching the back trail, and said gravely, Norton ought to have been back with Bothwell and the bunch now. He's an hour overdue, said Taylor, without looking at Bud. I reckon something's happened, growled Bud. Something always happens when a guy's holed up like this. It wouldn't be so bad if a man could eat a little something, to sort of keep him from thinking of it all the time. Or maybe, if there was a little excitement or something, a man could. There'll be plenty of excitement before long, interrupted Taylor. Keats and his gang didn't go very far. I just saw one of them sneaking along that rock knob down the gorge a piece. They're going to stalk us. If you're thinking of riding to Kelso, why? He grinned at Bud's resentful scowl. Lying flat on his stomach, he watched the rock knob he had mentioned. Slick as an Indian, he remarked once, while Bud, having ceased his discontented mutterings, kept his gaze on the rock also. And then suddenly the eerie silence of the gorge was broken by the sharp crack of Taylor's rifle, and, simultaneously, by a shriek of pain. 
Report and shriek reverberated with weird, echoing cadences between the hills, growing less distinct, always, and finally the eerie silence reigned again. They'll know they can't get careless now, grinned Taylor, working the ejector of his rifle. Bud did not reply, and for another hour both men intently scanned the hills within range of their vision, straining their eyes to detect signs of movement that would warn them of the whereabouts of Keats and his men. Anxiously, Bud watched the rays of the sun creeping up a precipitous rock wall at a little distance. Slowly, the streak of light narrowed, growing always less brilliant, and finally, when it vanished, Bud spoke. It's coming on night, Squint. Something sure happened to Norton. He wiggled impatiently, adding, If we're here when night comes, we'll have a picnic keeping those guys off of us. Taylor said nothing until the gorge began to darken with the shadows of twilight. Then he looked at Bud, his face grim. My stubbornness, he said shortly. I should have taken your advice about going to Kelso Basin when we had a chance. But I felt certain that Norton would have the outfit here before this. Our chance is gone now. There are some of Keats's men in the hills around us. I just saw one jump behind that rim rock on the shoulder of that big hill there. He indicated the spot. Then he again spoke to Bud. There's a chance yet for you. You take Spotted Tail and make a run for the basin. I'll cover you. What about you? grumbled Bud. Taylor grinned and Bud laughed. You was only funnin' me, I reckon, he said earnestly. You knowed I wouldn't slope and leave you to fight it out alone, now didn't you? But if a man was hungry, said Taylor, and he knew there was grub with the outfit. I ain't hungry no more, declared Bud. I've quit thinking of flapjacks for more than... He stiffened, and the first shadows of night were split by a long, narrow flame streak as his rifle crashed, and a man who had been slipping into the shelter of a depression on the side of a hill a hundred yards distant, tumbled grotesquely out and down, and went sliding to the bottom of the gorge. As though the report of Bud's rifle were a signal, a dozen vivid jets of fire flamed from various points in the surrounding hills, and the silence was rent by the vicious cracking of rifles and the drone and thud of bullets as they sped over the heads of the two men at the bottom of the gorge and flattened themselves against the rocks of their shelter. That sound, too, died away, and, in the heavy portentous stillness which succeeded it, there came to the ears of the two besieged men the sounds of distant shouting, faint and far. It's the outfit, said Taylor, and Bud, rolling over and over in excess of joy over the coming of the arrow men, hugged an imaginary form and yelled, Oh, Bothwell, you old son of a gun, how I love you. End of chapter 27